This is a podcast of the Church of Indian Lake. Because if you remember, the people, the city of Jerusalem was in ruins, and Nehemiah returned from Babylon, and he he gathered the people together, and they rebuilt half the wall in a very, very short amount of time. They built half of the wall, and so things were going good. I mean, if things were going ahead of schedule. And because it was ahead of schedule, people were feeling good. But chapter 5 starts and the work stops. The work on the wall completely stops. Now the question is, why did the work on the wall stop? If you have a chance to review Nehemiah earlier, Nehemiah chapter 1 through chapter 4, there were all types of direct attacks that the people had upon, upon those who were rebuilding the wall. And the enemy gave a direct attack and that did not stop the people. They still worked with all their hearts to rebuild half the wall in a very short amount of time. But as it often is in life, when the enemy cannot defeat us directly, he defeats us from within. And he defeats us by causing the people to focus on something other than what God had assigned them to focus on. So what stopped the people? Well, they had strife and they had arguments. And strife and arguments, guess where it was caused from? This probably won't surprise you. From financial difficulties. Financial difficulties caused internal strife which caused the work to stop. And if you think about that in our lives, you've probably heard this before, but it's a great reminder that in marriages, the number one point of contention that causes the breakup of marriage is financial stress. Think about in your company, departments, whole departments have dysfunction and have division because they're fighting over money. Church boards, where does all the conflict happen? It's when money is tight and people are arguing over money. There is something about our financial lives on our financial status that can stop the work of God within us. You know, nothing can separate close friends, but money sure can fast. The financial issues in our life will stop the work of God if we are not very, very careful. So with that in mind and with the background, let's go through this narrative starting in verse 1 of Nehemiah chapter 5. Now the men and their wives raised a great outcry against their Jewish brothers. Some were saying, we and our sons and daughters are numerous. In order for us to eat and stay alive, we must get grain. Others were saying, we are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards and our homes to get grain during the famine. So some people were saying, we need grain because our children are starving. And others were saying, Listen, we've mortgaged all of our fields. We're in a famine. We can't help you. And conflict happened and strife happened. And here is the truth. And I want you to focus on that last part of verse 3. Grain during the famine. Famine is going to happen. And when famine happens, sometimes there's nothing we can do about it. The first thing I want you to know is that for some of you, your financial problems aren't completely your fault. Because there are times and there are seasons where there is a famine that will come. It will come to your business. 
It'll come to sometimes even in a good economy, a famine will come to your particular uh, segment of the economy, to your particular job. A layoff can happen. I mean, even when the economy was at its best, unemployment was still 5%. So there was a famine for 5% of the nation, at least, at least the, the working force. Famine can come. And so famine's not often our fault. One of the things that, that I'm, I'm really aware of the real estate market right now, the commercial real estate market, because as you probably know, the church, we own 11 acres, four miles north of us in a great location, but it's, we have plenty of land here. There's really not a, a purpose that God has shown us for that land yet. We're trying to sell that, but I found out that everybody's trying to sell their commercial land right now. So a buyer hasn't come. We ask that you pray for that because that appears to us to be the will of God to sell that land. I was in a discussion with someone regarding a different piece of property and it was a bad upside down real estate deal and everybody was sitting sitting there talking and thinking about how the deal came together and they said well was it was it the buyer's fault for for uh buying more than they can afford or was it the bank's fault for loaning too much or was it the real estate agent's fault for not evaluating it and a very wise man stopped the conversation and he said Listen, can I tell you everything that happened in 2005 was nobody's fault. It was the market's fault. We all thought that our land was more valuable than it was. So there it is. It's a real estate famine. And that has affected a lot of people. I know a lot of people that are, are in the construction business. It's been really tough. It's been really rough. And sometimes famines are going to happen. But here's what you need to understand. You can't control what... What has happened to you and what kind of famine has come to you. But you can control what you choose from this point forward. And so this message talks about talking about a financial vision for your life. I'm not going to beat you up about what's happened in the past for you financially. But what I want you to see is that it is very important that you keep a clear vision for the future. Because this message is for five years from now. This message is for 10 years from now. This message is for 15 years from now because I know this, that five years from now, you can be in a better place financially than you are now. 10 years from now, you can be in a better place financially than you are now because it has everything to do with who your God is and the choices you can make when you walk in wisdom. And that's exactly what God wants you to do. So when a famine happens, it's difficult on everybody. A famine is difficult and it's not always the people's fault. But it is sometimes the way they address the issue. The other issue here is look at verse 4. Still others are saying this. We haven't got to the blanks yet. I'll let you know clearly when we're at the blanks. Verse 4. Everybody's like nervous. Like, did I miss something or something? No, I will let you know. Others are saying we have had to borrow money to pay the king's tax on our fields and vineyards. This is verse 4. We have had to... Actually, that doesn't look at verse 4. We go to verse 5. Well, hold on. That didn't say anything about taxes. Verse 5, that's my fault. It says, others were saying, we have had to borrow money to pay the king's taxes on our fields and vineyards. Here's the, here's the situation that it happened. So, as the famine has happened, and as people's as money has had increased, and people's the famine came and their lifestyles decreased, more. that's a really, really bad combination. Now, I'm going to try real hard right now not to let the political person in me take over this message. But I just want to say that biblically, when people are struggling financially, 
and people are having a hard time keeping their lifestyles up, it is not the right time to raise taxes. And if you if you need some scripture for that, that's in Nehemiah chapter five. Wow, I feel like John Hagee. I said something real political, and people are clapping. All right, here we go. So, so here here's the issue for the people too. The, it wasn't necessarily their fault that the taxes were increasing. The taxes were increasing as the as the their uh, the famine was in the land and things were down. Now let me talk about the influence of money because you need to understand that money influences God's vision for your life in a huge way. We like to disconnect those things by saying things like, "Oh, I don't really care about money." Well, you don't care about money until you need it. You don't care about money until you need to give it to someone. You don't care about money until you need the resources to accomplish what God has to get done. Now, somebody needs to care about money. Because if somebody's not caring about money and watching the fields and watching the bank accounts and watching the debt level, then God's visions won't come to pass. And it's not God's fault. It's our fault. So here's some truths about that. And now we're to the blanks. Number one is this. While pursuing God's vision, don't forfeit your financial future. This is under the influence of money. While pursuing God's vision, don't forfeit your financial future. Your financial future. Here's the thing that, that tr- the truth that some of us might not want to believe or accept. Ministry costs money. And it costs you money. And if you want to do ministry, if you really want to answer God's call, that you could probably vocationally make more money doing something else. If you want to volunteer at the church and give your disposable time, and do things like these men did today and did work around the church, or if you want to help things out, it's going to take time away from the time that you could be making money. And so that is just the truth. But we're not people who are living just for money. We're not people that are living just for earthly wealth because we know that's going to rot, that earthly wealth is going to fade, it's going to burn. But what we do in heaven will last forever. We, our treasure in heaven will last forever. So the truth is this. When you make a choice, and, and you make a choice to be in the ministry, whether you're on a high-level volunteer like most of you are, or whether you actually pursue vocational ministry, it is going to cost you money. I think about our staff, our staff and the sacrifices they have made. I think specifically of, of the Powell family and the sacrifices they have made to lead our children's ministry when Deanna could go get a full-time job somewhere else, but she feels called to lead our kids for uh, much less than she can make in a secular field. And you guys need to honor her and bless her. She's not here tonight, uh, but when you see her, you all need to honor her and bless her because she's made great sacrifices for that. So it's going to cost you something to be in ministry, but here is where you need to be careful. You need to be careful that at the same time that you're working for the Lord, and you're ministering complete, you're ministering to Him, and you're giving everything, you also have to watch your own home too. And you've got to make sure that you're watching your own home and doing what you need to do. Because what, would, what happened to these people is they were so busy, the people of God, rebuilding the wall, that they weren't prepared for the famine. And they weren't prepared for what was going to happen. It's one of the reasons why I greatly encourage encourage younger ministers and ministers to save for retirement. It breaks my heart that so many of our retired ministers who live with the, with the great hope that the rapture is going to happen at any time, they, they opted out of Social Security 
They did not invest in their retirement, and now they're living very uncomfortable retirements because they didn't plan for the future. Now, I think that there's a responsibility we have to try to help them and bless them, and now with the wisdom that we're gaining, I'm getting great counsel on that, and I thank God that uh, our board has has encouraged me and Pastor David to save for our retirements and help give the provisions so that we can have retirement, and and that's a, a great tribute to them. But the point I'm trying to say is this, is while you're doing the ministry, also take care of your home. Also make sure that you're doing both. So at the same time, when the famine comes, you will be prepared. Speaking of being in the ministry, a lot of over the last 15 years, I've encountered a lot of men in their 30s and 40s who get disillusioned and unfulfilled with their jobs. And so they, they have this great idea and they say, I'd like to go into vocational ministry now. It'd be great to go in vocational ministry now. And, and, they, and they'll come and they would talk to me about what it takes to become a vocational ministry. And then when I let them know what the entry level is to start vocational ministry, it is almost an impossibility for them to do so. Because most guys start in their early 20s when they don't have a family and they grow with experience and grow with the job. And so here it is, is that if you want to be in vocational ministry, you might not want to get used to lavish lifestyle. Because if you do, you might not have, especially in the first years, the life, the, the income to, and I'm not even saying the lavish lifestyle, but you, you want to keep your lifestyle minimized to prepare you for that. So that's just something, while pursuing God's vision, don't forfeit your financial vision. Number two, a financial crisis will obstruct God's vision with the urgency of today. When we're always living in financial crisis, it's hard for us to really, really um, watch God's vision in our life. One of the things we need more than anything and to, to really be visionary leaders and visionary people and help launch our vision, this might surprise you, but we need, as, as people who have a vision, we need time to think. I mean, you would be amazed how important that is. Solitude, meditation, in the presence of God, letting your mind just think about what His call in your life is, how you can implement it, what steps you need to take. Well, that's one of the things that as our church is growing and I'm getting more help and, and I have a wonderful staff and, and a lot of what I'm doing now is just thinking thinking about how we can get the church to the next level, how we can reach more people for Christ, how we can give more to missions. And that's a very, very important component. Well, in your life, if you are always in a financial crisis and all you can think about is, how am I going to pay my mortgage next month? And how am I going to get food on the table? And how am I going to make it? And I say this with compassion. I'm not saying this to condemn you. Because I've been there before when I've been in some challenging times financially. But when you're in that place and you're just worried about how you're going to provide for your family, then it's hard for you, it's hard for you to think about the vision God has given you to reach other people. Because you're thinking about yourself. And rightfully so, because you have to take care of yourself before you can take care of other people. But when you're in a perpetual crisis, when you've lived in a decade of famine and years of famine, it can keep you from directing those thoughts to where God wants you to, of, of how you're, you're, you can propel His vision for your life. 
Well, let's talk about debt a little bit. And everybody's like, oh, no, do we have to talk about debt? And, and all I'm going to say is this is not a practical message in which I'm giving you debt reduction uh, type of philosophy or steps. I'm just going to tell you that I know this, that a year from now you can be in less debt. And three years from now you can be in less debt. And five years you can, from now you can be in less debt. And you can be debt free. You can be debt free. Uh, and it just takes, it's, half the battle is believing that you can do it. You can do it. Some of you, it's a long, long mountain to climb. It's a high, high mountain to climb too. Uh, it's it's a it's a very difficult thing, and so sometimes when we feel like we're overwhelmed with debt, we just kind of give up and we say, uh, "I'm not even going to try." Take a small step. Take a small step, and if you do that, if you do that, and you begin to pray and ask God to empower you, you can get out of debt. I believe that, and I know that, and God will give you wisdom on how to do that. Um, so I want to just bring up some points that is going to. Uh, hopefully encourage you not to not to stay in the cycle of debt. Number one, excessive debt will create a powerless life. A powerless life. Nehemiah chapter five, verse five. Hopefully that we're back on target here. Let's let's see if this it says, although we are the same flesh and blood as our countrymen, and though our sons are as good as theirs, yet we have to subject ourselves and and our sons and daughters of slavery. Some of our daughters have already been enslaved, but we are powerless because our fields and our vineyards belong to others. Think about that phrase. We are powerless. Why are they, we powerless? Because our fields and our vineyards belong to others. Can I tell you, one of the reasons we have less power in our life financially is that our paycheck belongs to others before we even get it. When we owe debt, but it is already spent for us because we don't really own our paycheck and resources. A bank owns it. A credit card company owns it. Even even a mortgage company owns it. And, and you know, we've all come to kind of accept that we're going to have a mortgage. But, you know, eventually we have to pay off these mortgages. We, we Eventually we do. We can't just, just re-open them forever and ever and ever. Eventually they have to be paid off. And and there's there's a lack of power in our life when everybody else already owns our income. And one of the problems we have is that we like to separate our money from our relationship with God. I don't know why we we think we can do that, but it's like our money is ours, and God, you can have our heart. And also, God, here's your 10%, so leave us alone, God, so we can spend the 90% like we want to. No, he tells us to give 10%, and he blesses us for 10%, but he still owns all of it. And he owns the other 90%. So the point is this, is that when we buy a house, it's a spiritual decision. And when we buy a vehicle, it's a spiritual decision. And when we make financial choices about our jobs and our employment, it's a spiritual decision. And when you begin to disconnect God from your financial decision, there's a disconnect that's not His will. He, In fact... Our heart, our, our heart is where our treasure is. And so our money is connected to our heart. So why in the world would we want to exclude God from that important, important thing? You see, part of being a believer is being a giver. God's called us to give. And I'm going to speak to you frankly about this with no agenda here. The, the buckets are not going to be passed again tonight. Pledge cards are not going to be, be passed tonight. 
uh, I can say that that the Lord is blessing us financially as a church this month. So we're doing we're doing better than we've done in previous months. But I'm going to tell you, you need to be a giver, not because I'm trying to raise money right now. It's because you're a Christian. And as a Christian, Christians give and Christians are generous. And that's what the Bible says. And when we have excessive debt in our lives, we lose the power to be generous. We lose the power. But when, when we have debt under control in our lives, then we're free to give when God tells us to give. How much God tells us to give without reservation. We don't feel pressure. We don't dread the offering. We don't dread the pledge cards because we're free to give. There's a freedom. There's a power that comes in that when other people don't own our income. They don't own our fields and vineyards. We can give. Now, I have a dream financially. And let me just tell you how I'm wired. Is I have a dream and, and I dream of having more income and having more money. I've even asked the Lord in the future to help me find other income sources. I don't really dream about houses. I lived in one house for eight, my whole life until I went to college. I've been in the last seven years in one house and three different churches. Now, am I ever going to get a different house? Maybe. But that's not my dream. You can look at my vehicles and see I don't dream about vehicles either. I thank God for my vehicles. I don't necessarily dream about, do I desire to have nicer vehicles in the house? Yeah, that desire is there, but it's not what I dream about. But do you know what I do dream about? I dream about someday being able to plant a church by myself with the resources God gives me. I dream about being able to bless ministries from my personal checkbook. I dream about being able to send kids to college, not only the three that are in my house, but other kids who don't have a chance to go to college. And so it's okay to dream to have more financial resources, but don't, when you begin to dream about, oh, I have got to have my dream house. I have to have a fourth or fifth bedroom. And I have to have a new car. Are those things bad? No. But if you begin, if you begin to go into excessive debt to have those, because it's an incorrect desire that hasn't been sanctified by God. It'll get you in financial trouble. I have a feeling this. I have a feeling, though, if you begin to dream, to use your resources the way God wants you to, there's no telling how He can bless you and how He can bless you. And all the things that you don't care about anymore, He may just decide to bless you with those anyway. I don't know if He will or not, because it, does, it shouldn't matter. But he, he just has a way of doing those things. So all of those things to remember is that Dream of donations, church planning, being with people, ha- having, being a powerful person financially. Not power that comes through power clothes and power vehicles and all those type of things, but power that comes through generosity. Being able to bless other people. Being able to bless the kingdom of God. Number two, this is what excessive debt does. It enslaves your children. Again, Nehemiah 5, five says, Our daughters have already been enslaved. Can I tell you that the, the debt in your life and the financial, the financial momentum of your life carries over to your children. It does. But you have the power. Listen, if you can break the cycle in your life, if you can just make decisions, and, and, and this is a message of hope. Hear me. I'm not, don't leave here condemned tonight. Leave here with hope. Five years from now, ten years from now, twenty years from now, you're going to be in better financial situation and your children will be blessed because of it. Because they will, there's a momentum that carries over into their life also. And you can do that. But if not, 
There are cycles of poverty in our nation that are just, are just sad. There, there are communities and neighborhoods and cities and regions and even states that people are in cycles of poverty and children are enslaved even before they reach adulthood because of the cycle of poverty. And unfortunately, our nation is, in a, is, is about to be in a cycle of, of just overwhelming debt unless we get some leadership who says, no, quit spending money we don't have. And it's time for us to take responsibility. And, and what we're doing is we are enslaving our kids with, this, with our national debt. It is, it's nonsense. It is nonsense, and, and there will be, there, there's going to be a price to pay unless we get some leadership that really leads and say it is time to change our ways and change our habits. And that goes across both aisles completely. So enslave your children. And three, number three, write this down. It'll cause your harvest to go to another when you're in excessive debt. Now, the Bible is very clear that what you sow, when you sow a seed in the ground, it'll come back as fruit. I mean, it talks about that in several different aspects. And if you sow wickedness, wickedness is going to come and it's going to be fruitful in your life. You sow righteousness, Righteousness is going to flourish in your life. And the Bible is also very clear that if you sow money into the kingdom of God, money is going to come back into your life. Whatever you sow, you'll reap. So every time you give an offering, every time you tithe, the money you give to the kingdom of God, that money is going to come back to you because that's what God promises. Now the problem is this, is when you're in excessive debt and the, the fruit and the harvest comes back to your life, it's already spent. Your harvest belongs to somebody else. So you, you, you're sowing seed and God is blessing you and He's causing new sources of income and new harvest in your life, but that harvest already belongs to the bank. It belongs to the credit card company. It, 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 it uh, belongs to your car payment. It belongs to other things. That harvest belongs to somebody else. And so excessive debt steals your harvest. All right. Now, as Americans, I want you to understand something that I know we're going through a tough time, but we are still among the richest people on this planet. We have the resources, we have the income, we have behavioral issues. We do. We have behavioral issues, and, and the Lord's helping us. He's given us wisdom during this recession, and I plan on being wiser when I come out of this. Does anyone else plan on being wiser and more prepared and, and more ready to go? So, But there is a responsibility. I'm, I want to talk to... Those of you who have wealth, and I'm going to qualify it to say that that means every single one of you in here. Some of you don't see yourself as rich, but you are rich compared to the standards of the rest of the world. Okay, so quit comparing yourself to your neighbor and still and start thanking God for your blessing compared to the rest of the world. But let me quickly just just share these points because because I, we're not we have other plans next Wednesday. I don't want to revisit it then. Those of financial power should number one be outraged at financial injustice in the world. We should be outraged. Now, Nehemiah chapter 5, verse 6. Nehemiah said, look at verse 6. He said, when I heard their outcry and these charges, I was very angry. I'm going to tell you that. There is a sense that we should be angry at the systems of this world that cause injustice, that cause cycles of poverty to continue, that does not allow people to get out of 
the standard of living they're in and to advance themselves, that should bother. Those of us who are blessed should be bothered. We should be bothered that there are dictators in third world countries that won't even let the humanitarian aid that is sent to them get to the people who need that. That should outrage us. That is unacceptable. We should, uh, we should be bothered by the fact that some of our welfare systems keep people in poverty instead of lifting them out. We should be bothered that there is an inequality of education that is just nonsense. That There's some school districts that are building multi-million dollar uh, football stadiums while other school districts don't even have Bunsen burners at work. That should bother us because there's an inequality there that is, keeps people in cycles of poverty. And it matters. It should matter to you. And it, you shouldn't be, well, I just have, you shouldn't have the attitude of my kids are taken care of. My kids are educated. My kids have good stuff. I'm so glad we live here and we don't care about people in this community. We don't care about people in this country. That should, that, that should bother us. And there was Nehemiah when he heard the outcry of the people. He said, I was very angry. What was happening is they were charging usury, which is exorbitant um, interest. Interest that was too high. One of the, one of the commentators said that's interest that is, it was 12%, which I, I, I laughed at because here in our nation we have interest that's 19, 20, 25%, which is ridiculous. But, but the law of Moses was very clear that you should not oppress the poor by charging them too much interest. And there are just systems in our country that need to be, rest- need to be reformed and restored because it keeps people in poverty. Number two, and this goes with that same point, as people with, with influence, uh, those of financial powers should not use interest to enslave people. Write down number two. Should not use interest to enslave people. And let's go straight to number three. We should fight injustice to the poor. Because they're not going to fight for themselves. We should fight for them. That's what Nehemiah did. Nehemiah confronted them. Let's look at Nehemiah chapter 5, starting with verse 7. It says, I pondered them, I pondered them in my mind and then accused the nobles and officials and I told them, you are exacting usury from your own countrymen. This is in verse 7 of Nehemiah 5. So I called together a large meeting to deal with them. I like that word, to deal with them. Now look at verse 8. And said, as far as possible, we have bought back our Jewish brothers who were sold to the Gentiles. Now you are selling your brothers only for them to be sold back to us. In other words, we brought all these people back to Jerusalem and you're taking advantage of them by charging them too much interest. They kept quiet because they could find nothing to say. Verse 9. So I continued, what you are doing is not right. Isn't it good to have a bold leader who will just look someone in the face and say, what you're doing is not right. And I think Nehemiah showed great leadership and we need more of that. And he goes on and says, shouldn't you walk in the fear of God to avoid the reproach of our Gentiles' enemies? I and my brothers and my men are also lending the people money and grain. But let the exacting of usury stop. 11. Give back to them immediately their fields, vineyards, olive groves, and houses, and also the usury you are charging them, the hundredth part of the money, grain, new wine, and oil. Now look at verse 12. I love this. Verse 12. We will give it back, they said. Nehemiah must have been one tough guy. And will not demand anything from them. We will do as you say. He fought the injustice. Let's go to number four. Excuse me. Number four. Those with financial power should not let the privileges of wealth keep you from God's work. 
And I, I want you later on to read Nehemiah chapter 5, verse 14 through 19. And you'll see there that Nehemiah, because of his position in the government, was provided all types of food. What did he do with that food? He, he, he gave that food to his countrymen who were, who were hungry and who were victims of this famine. And he did not let the privileges of wealth keep him from doing God's work. I want you to stand with me today. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for what you're going to do. I want to ask that, our, that those who are part of our prayer team, if you'd go to that back wall where the clock is. And Lord, I, I want us just to pray, right? I, I want us to all corporately pray before we release. And go ahead, prayer team, get in position for those who have needs after service. And I thank you, God. I thank you, God, that, Lord, you are educating us. Thank you, you are teaching us. Thank you, Lord, God, that we will be stronger. We will be stronger. Father, we, we commit as a church body, Lord, to, to be more aware of, of how debt can cripple us. How debt, Lord, can make us powerless. How debt can keep us from being everything You want us to be. But Lord, we are not people without hope. We believe, God, that You're going to give us a vision, God. We thank You that the things You put in our heart, Lord, let not a lack of earthly wealth Keep that from happening. Father, I pray you would release money for education, Lord. Those who want to pursue more education, Lord, I pray for you to miraculously release money. Lord, I pray for those who need vehicles, God. I pray, Lord, that you would show them the right vehicle at the right price, at the right time, at the, if, if, if you release them to, to take it alone with the right rate, God. I pray, oh God, for those, Lord, who are discontent with their home. I pray, Lord, that that discontent, Lord, would only flow from you. Lord, if that discontent flows from the flesh, God, I pray that they would be content. And I pray, oh Lord, that they would submit that to you. Lord God, I pray, Lord, that there would be a sense of satisfaction and contentment and that, Lord, we would hunger and thirst for spiritual things. We would hunger and thirst for the things that come from the Lord. Lord, we know that the things that come from you, we can't put a price on. Lord, we know the things that you bless us with that you cannot buy. Lord, we know that, that we know from Simon the sorcerer that we can't buy the power of God. That we have to believe and pray, Lord. And Lord, help us not to put a price on that. Help us, oh God, to realize that the treasures of heaven are much more valuable than the treasures of earth. Lord, I pray, God, that for those, Lord, who are struggling, Lord, with former student loans, God, I pray, Lord, that you would help release that in their life. I pray, God, Lord, those who are stuck in a cycle of using credit cards, God, I pray that you would break that cycle on them, God. And Lord, I believe that, Lord, that you, God, are going to teach us to be disciplined people looking for your blessing, God. And so receive that right now. I want you just before we leave, I want you to just lift your hands right now before the Lord. And I want you just just like a like a, a, a funnel right right now that you're just receiving a blessing. Yeah, you have open hands right now. Thank you. There's an open doorway. There's an open heaven before you. The Lord's going to remind you that every seed that you sow to the kingdom of God is going to come back to you. The Lord also is a forgiving God. So those of you who, who met, might be under undue guilt or lack of tithing in the past, the Lord says that, uh, that He is moving forward, that there is an obedient spirit within you, and that He will not punish you. He's going to bless you anyway because that's what His grace is. The same grace that gave you salvation is going to be the same grace that can bless you financially. Father, we receive that, Lord. We have open posture right now to receive your blessing. Let it come down from heaven, oh God. And Lord, we believe that's going to happen in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. And let it happen over. Lord, I thank you that in our church body, this is going to be a debt-free church someday. 
This is going to be a church that's not going to be under the bondage of debt, Lord. I thank you, O God, that you're going to help us move forward in that. In Jesus' name we pray. If you agree with me, would you say amen? This has been a Church at Indian Lake podcast. Be sure to check out IndianLakeChurch.com for all updated news and information.